So over the last several weeks and uh, for the rest of the season of Lent until we get to Easter, we are discussing covenant. Hold on one second, my microphone popped off. That's uh, There we go. Uh, we are discussing covenants. Uh, what are they? What do they mean? Their significance in the biblical narrative? Uh, what covenants we remain under? And so on. And so if you've been here, you'll hopefully remember that the covenant is an agreement made, that a covenant is an agreement made uh, that is built on the idea of trust and relationship. Uh, the last two weeks we've been looking at two of the Old Testament covenants that God made. The first, which was the one that God made with Noah, was uh, to establish God's great love for humanity and commitment never to destroy us because of the deep longing and desire God has for us and desire for a relationship with us. The second established with Abraham and Sarah a promise to make from them a mighty people and from that people to bring forth great leaders. Now these Two covenants, with, along with the uh, covenant made at Sinai with Moses and the Israelites, these would form what is modern-day Judaism, or what would become modern-day Judaism. These covenants bound the people together, bound them to one another, and bound them to God. And now we're going to fast forward a little bit, uh, and because when we left off, we were at Abraham, and now we're going to go ahead and fast forward all the way to Jesus. Uh, which I realize is a bit of time jump, but uh, it'll work, I promise. Um, so we're moving forward to the New Testament time. And here is where we find the establishment of the New Covenant. Uh, you can think of it as kind of a renegotiation of the terms, because God wasn't exactly pulling back from the prior covenants, but more expanding the covenant. It was no longer just the Israelites or the Jewish people who were under the covenant, but now the covenant applies to everyone or is open to everyone. And this time was established by the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. In coming, Jesus offered us a new way and formed with us this new covenant. And that's what we're talking about tonight. This new covenant that Jesus established that is built on a very simple truth. That we're not good enough. Which is kind of a harsh thing to say. Um, I'm, I'm a pretty positive guy. I don't really enjoy getting up here and like saying to people, you're not good enough. But it is a fact. None of us are good enough. None of us can be good enough. Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, was teaching them about this new way and this new understanding, teaching them how everything had changed. Many see this uh, as one of the central texts of the Christian faith, if not entirely because of verses 8 and 9, which uh, are part of what sets the Christian faith apart from, other, uh, from many other faith traditions. Uh, in 8 and 9, Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works. God has made this new covenant that says you are not defined by your past sins, by those around you, the culture around you, the public pressure around you, the definition of others, or even the power that others have to try and define you. Instead, you are defined in the beginning and in the end by the everlasting grace of God. 
And in the middle, we are called to define ourselves by that grace, invited to know ourselves deeper through that grace, to be transformed and made new in God's grace. And that is the new covenant, that we're not expected to be good enough for God's grace, to earn the affection of God, to earn a place with God, because in God, we already have those things through God's everlasting grace. God's grace that stretches as far as the east is from the west. Inviting us to know this one important truth. That we are each a unique and beautiful work of art, more magnificent than any crafted by human hands throughout all of human history. Because we have been crafted by the Creator who placed the universe in motion, created by the Creator whose greatest longing for us is to know the depth of God's love and mercy. Simple truth is we're not good enough. The other simple truth is that we don't have to be because God has already done that for us. Because the, to use the word truth again, the truth is we are people. We are no more or no less human beings, perfect in creation, imperfect in living up to the standards we are called to. People are not good enough, and yet we are loved. And in that love, mercifully forgiven. And this is the covenant that can never be broken. There's nothing that we can ever do to stray away from this covenant because we cannot go far enough away from God for God to stop loving us. We can never walk far enough away or do anything so terrible that God would forsake us. No, God's promise is forever and always, never broken, fulfilled in Christ and reinforced by the Holy Spirit. And so this new covenant becomes something that sets us free. It says, Jesus spoke about in Matthew 11, take the heavy yoke, that is the weight of sin, and not good enough, and replace it with the freedom to live in new life and to follow a different path than the world would often point us to. And because we've been set free and no longer carry the burden of our human imperfection, we are free. And as Paul writes, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Set free to do good works, not to earn ourselves our own salvation, but as a reaction to the free grace that we have been given. To be risk takers for the gospel, unafraid of our imperfection. This past Wednesday, I don't know how many of you were able to come, but we had the uh, annual pointer lecture, and uh, this year featured Joshua Dubois. Uh, the pointer lecture is an uh, annual lecture sponsored by Kay and by the university chaplain. Um, and this year, 
bringing in Mr. Dubois was uh, bringing in someone who has worked at the intersections of faith and public policy uh, for most of his adult life um, and even spent uh, a few years doing exactly that work in the White House under President Obama. One of the things he said was to remind us how in the past few years a number of justice movements have been started from Black Lives Matter to Me Too to Not One More. And these movements have been boldly taking on the culture of our nation, culture of oppression, reduction, and dehumanization. They've been pushing back on the idea that we can sit back and expect change to happen calling on all of us to get involved in making a more equal and equitable, equitable world. He called this one of the brightest points in history because there is so much movement in opposition to the darkness many of us recognize every day. It's through the leaps of faith of so many places of courage to stand up and say never again these huge risks that we are seeing movement and the hope for change where once there was none. He also reminded us that uh, none of these movements are perfect. But that's what happens when we take big risks. When we make, take a big risk, there can be really big payoffs. But if you know anything about game theory, which I know about this much, but this is the bit I do know, is that the bigger the risk, the bigger potential payoff. But the bigger the risk, the bigger potential failure as well. And so when we take a really big risk, when we take a big leap of faith, there is a chance that we will get a huge payoff. And there's also a chance that we will fail. We have to put a lot on the line to reap the truly great rewards. And that means we will have failures. And our imperfection will show from time to time. But then that's the brilliance of not having to be perfect. When the expectation is that we are allowed to be imperfect because God has already uh, done the work of perfecting us, of forgiving our sins, of making us whole, then we can take and step out in faith and take big risks for the gospel. We can step out and go against the tide of culture and power and money and work to create change. Now, anyone can do that, obviously, but it's the new covenant that frees us to not be afraid of our imperfection. We don't have to be afraid of failure because we have been made to do these good works. As Paul said, these are the works that we have been created for. How many of the, how many of the apostles and the saints, the heroines and heroes of the faith, died at the hands of those who saw them as failures and agitators? How much can we accomplish when we do just a portion of what they have done? Trusting that at the end of all of it, in Christ, we can create change, that we can make the world better because we take big risks, because this is the way of life we have been created for. As a closing thought, consider this. 
It is the new covenant that tells us that none of us are good enough. It tells us that we cannot earn our way, that we have no way to come forward to this table on our own. And yet, and yet, each one of us are invited anyway. Each one of us called, invited to come forward and receive, to come forward leaving behind who we have been and walking in the light of God's hope and mercy and grace, receiving our forgiveness, walking in redemption, and walking as a new creation in Christ, free to be new in Christ, and free to be risk-takers for the gospel. Amen.